Amen. Amen. What a time of worship we've had this morning. And I pray that God has brought you before his own presence and that you've worshiped with us. You know, I was reading through uh, some scripture passages in the last few days as we were reading through the New Testament this year, actually. And a few days ago, we were looking at 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. And it spoke about how Paul was eagerly desiring to see his brothers and sisters in Christ there in Thessalonica. Like he was longing to see them face to face. You know, I don't think I've ever read that passage with the lens that I read it with now. I don't know if I've ever thought about it the way I do now because I know right now I am longing to see so many of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that many of you are longing to hear voices and to see faces. Friday night, I got a phone call, and it was one of our older ladies. I should be careful what I say. It was one of our ladies. She called me, and she said, I just want to hear your voice. And I was so pleasantly surprised to be able to hear her voice as well. You know, there's something about the people of God coming together. And while we come and we have these opportunities that I'm going to talk about later, we recognize that nothing will truly substitute to the physical gathering of God's people. I read somewhere this past week, a preacher was talking about this and talking about our online presence and how it is awesome that we can come together in such a venue, but to recognize we cannot truly replicate what usually happens on Sunday morning here on this campus. We can't truly do it. As much as we appreciate the band, as much as we appreciate the message, there is nothing that we can do to replicate the fellowship of God's people coming together but we're not trying to. How can you compare feasting and scavenging? You cannot. When we come together as God's people, we get to feast together. But right now, we're just scavenging. And as this individual said this week, as I heard his, his own thoughts about it, he said, the online gathering, it will never substitute for the physical gathering, but it will help us to get by through these times because God gives us his scraps right now so that we can survive and we will not starve because we have some type of community and some type of study together. So I encourage you, I encourage you to allow God to work and to speak to you. Hey, think about how God has made the impossible possible because as Paul was writing those words to the Thessalonians, he had really no way to communicate. Not like I'm communicating with you now. I bet Paul would have loved to have known that there could have been a venue through Facebook or YouTube or something where he could have communicated with the people in Thessalonica. I bet he would have loved that. But that was impossible for the time. They couldn't even think about all of this technology. And somehow God has brought it all together for such a time as this. For us to be able to communicate with one another. Because our God is able to make the impossible possible. And that's what he says in Luke 18. And that's where I want to draw your attention this morning. I invite you to take God's word, to take the scripture, and to turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 18. And Jesus will make this remark about how he is able to take that which seems to be impossible and he makes it possible. But the story, the narrative that this is contained within is a story of rejection, a story of darkness. It's actually a, 
a, a story about how an individual rejects Jesus and yet still Jesus is able to come and say, no, 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 understand I am still able to work in people's lives. I am still able to bring possibility to impossibilities. It's actually a wonderful story for us, I think, even this day as we think about how impossible some things seem to be. And even the backdrop of darkness that surrounds us, that Jesus says to us that with him all things are possible. So let's plunge into the story if we can. I want to begin in verse 18 of that 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now, this story is given to us by the Gospel writers Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in verse 18 of Luke, of chapter 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him. So this is a story we usually identify as the rich young ruler. All of the Gospels tell us that this guy was materially blessed. He had a lot of wealth. He owned a lot. But Matthew tells us that he was a young man. He was a young man. When I was reading through the commentaries this week, I noticed it said that that word young could refer to anybody between the ages of 20 to 40. 20 to 40. After I read that in that commentary, I went and I actually, uh, I burned the commentary. Because I know that you're supposed to be young, 20 to 40, but I think it extends even to 42, even to the pastor at Temple. I think I'm still young. Would you not say that? Somebody hit an amen button there. And I know, Dwight, you're looking for it, but they don't have amen buttons on the droid, okay? You've got to only find it on the iPhones usually, okay? But here we are. We, we, we got a young guy. And it says that he was a ruler. Luke gives us this aspect of it. What was he a ruler of? Perhaps of the synagogue. In other words, this guy, he had it all going his way. I believe when he was in high school, he was Mr. PHS. This is the area of Perea, so he was like Mr. Perea High School. He was the most likely to succeed. He was one of the most gifted and talented individuals, and, and he had been blessed in a lot of different ways. This is the introduction that we're giving by the gospel writers and it says that this certain ruler comes to Jesus and he has a question for Jesus. Now, I want to focus on three questions that you'll find within the text. Three questions in order to arrange uh, God's word to us today. Notice the first question. There in verse 18, the certain ruler speaks to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to inherit eternal life? So here's this guy that's got everything going for him. And yet he has a question. And it's a very weighty question. It's a question of purpose. It's a question of living. You know, there are times when we can stop and reflect. And there are probably people right now who are stopping and reflecting on life. And maybe they have some questions. Maybe you have some questions. And you may be asking yourself something like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going? Where are these events going? And maybe you have some weighty questions. And what's awesome is that Jesus invites our questions. And he is there to speak to us. This rich young ruler, he says, good teacher, I want to know what I need to do to inherit eternal life. Eternal life is a weighty issue. What can I do to have life itself? It's a question about 
his living. And notice even inherent in the question is the idea that he must do something. What must I do? The tense of the verb means I've got to decisively do something. There's got to be one act. There's got to be one event in my life that will somehow impart eternal life to me. Maybe if I do one good deed, if I give one great offering, what is it, Jesus? There's got to be something about life. There's got to be something that I can do. Unfortunately, that idea of doing something was inherent in the Jewish mentality of the day. But I would suggest to you that that thought is also inherent in the mentality of a lot of people around us, even in our churches today. I believe that there are probably a lot of Baptists, a lot of Baptists that sit on pews each and every Sunday, and they think to themselves, As long as I can do this, as long as I can do that, as long as I'm able to perform this or give this offering, somehow I think I'll be okay with a God. But that's not just a Baptist problem. I have a feeling that you would find that mentality in Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, non-denom churches. I think you would find it in Catholic churches. I think there's a mentality among people that I've got to do something. I've got to be able to do something to bring salvation or eternal life. I think it is inherent in our thoughts. And the rich young ruler says, Jesus, there's got to be something. Now, when you look at verse 19 and you hear Jesus' response, it, it almost sounds like Jesus is agreeing that there are things you can do because he begins to speak about the commandments. At least it seems like he hints toward that. Look in verse 19. He says to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Jesus not being rude, but I think what he's saying is, hey, is there, is there some kind of understanding that you think I might be divine? Because remember, God's only good one. Are you saying you, you might believe that I'm divine? But then Jesus moves on. In verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Again, when you hear Jesus respond that way, it sounds like Jesus is saying, well, you got to keep these commandments. And he lists five, all dealing with horizontal relationships. Relationships that you have with your fellow man. He says, you got to keep these commandments. Now, again, if you're just stopping there, you may think that Jesus has just embraced some type of legalistic uh, philosophy. I ran across a guy some years ago that, that cited this passage. And he actually said, this is how you attain salvation. Jesus said, commandments. I, I, was, I was in Salt Lake City. Now get this. I was a college student at Blue Mountain College, a little Baptist school up in North Mississippi. And during my college days, the Mississippi Baptist Convention decided to put together a college team to travel to the Southern Baptist Convention and participate in something called crossover, which is like an evangelistic type of effort in the area where the convention is going to be held. That year, we were going to Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Now, think of a young Baptist bred 
Baptist saturated guy from North Mississippi that had never really been out of North Mississippi much. And I notice I, I have now, I'm a man of the world. Now. But back then, I went to Salt Lake City and they put us out on the streets and they had us to start going door to door to witness to people. And I remember, I've shared this with some folks before, I, I remember the first house I went up to and I knocked on the door and I began to pray. And I said, God, God, please, don't let anybody be at home. God, please. I just don't know, because I'm going to be honest. I was out of my element. I was somewhat frightened. I was thinking, Why, how can I do this? Unfortunately, or maybe I should say fortunately, the Lord did not hear that prayer, and the door opened, and I was able to talk to this individual. The individual didn't come to know Christ that day, but I was able to share the gospel. I was able to share the good news of Jesus. It was, it was an awesome experience. And then I thought, you know, I've, I've done this. Now I can continue to witness the way I should. I've got the power now. Well, I walked down the street some ways and I came up to a house and over in the window, there was a sign that said protected by a 45 Colt. I thought to myself, well, that's a way to intimidate people who are coming up wanting to talk to you. But you know what? Again, I just had a great experience. I'm going to knock on this door and trust in the Lord. So I knocked on the door and nobody came to the door. But all of a sudden I saw, I saw an older guy come around the side of the house. And as he walked up toward the porch, you would never believe he had a pistol right on his waist. I now understand why God said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you to give you the power that you need to witness. I now understand that because if I'd have been standing there in Reggie alone, I would have run in a heartbeat. I was getting close to running even with the Holy Spirit living within me. But I was able to talk to that guy and I asked him, I said, do you believe that when you die, you'll go to heaven with the Father, spend eternity with the Father? He said, well, I don't know for sure. And I said, well, how do you think this happens? How do you think somebody does spend eternity with the Father? He said, somebody's, you got to be good. You got to keep the commands. And of course, I was raised in Baptist churches and I'd heard the preacher and I'd experienced in my own life that it was not by legalistic efforts. It had to be through faith and trust in Jesus. So, I mean, I had my response. I was coming back and I said, no, Jesus teaches us that we can do nothing in order to gain salvation of our own. We must come through faith. And he said, well, how about this passage? And he pointed to this Luke 18 passage. And he said, did Jesus not say that you had to keep the commandments? Jesus said to the rich young ruler, did you have to keep the commandments? And I was caught off guard because he knew his Bible. Unfortunately, he didn't know all of his Bible. Unfortunately, he, it seemed to stop reading after the first question. Folks, I want you to continue reading because Jesus does list these commands. But what he is going to do is to show this rich young ruler how he has blind spots in his life, how there's no way that he can achieve, even through the commandments, he cannot achieve life on his own. C continue reading because you come to the second question that arises from the text. Verse 21, and he said, that would be the rich young ruler. 
He said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, I know some of you look at that and you say, Reggie, that doesn't seem like a question. Well, I think there should be a question mark at the end because the way the rich young ruler is speaking to Jesus, it's as though he's saying, I've done all of those things. I've done all those things, question mark. Matthew says that he explicitly asked the question. Matthew says, what do I still lack? In other words, it's not just a question about his living. It is a question about his lacking. There is something that he still lacks. He says, hey, I, I still, I, I, I've done these things. Now, personally, I believe he's either lying or self-deceived as Tony Evans identifies him. I don't think he probably has kept all these things, but in good faith, let's say that he was, that he had, he had kept all these all these different relationships intact. He says, there's still something that I'm lacking. This is what I recognize when I read through this passage. Legalism is empty. Legalism will always lead us to a place of void and emptiness in our lives. Always. When you're trying to keep the rules, when you're trying to keep all the regulations, when you're trying to do all these different things, you're going to come up lacking in the end. You're never going to be fulfilled. Never. And there have been some of us, maybe even up to this point, where we've been trying to live legalistic lives. We've been trying to been trying to fulfill certain rules or plans and somehow find the favor of God through that. That's not the way. That's not the way you will experience abundant eternal life. Never. That's not the way. Well, I've gone to church so many times. I just told you I love to go to church. I wish we could come together physically, but just your church attendance is not going to bring you necessarily in a favor of God in which you're going to somehow earn eternal life. You're not going to give enough. You're not going to do enough. There's not enough in this world to do. Legalism says, I must do. Jesus says, I have done. There are too many of us that are trying to do things in order to curry favor with Jesus when Jesus has already said, I've done everything for you. When he said it is finished on the cross, what he meant was the work that was necessary for your salvation and my salvation, that was done through the shed blood of the Son of God. Legalism will always leave you empty. But I would also suggest to you that materialism will leave you empty. Because this individual, this rich young ruler, he had tried to keep all the different commands. He was trying to be the best legalistic guy he could, but also he had been blessed materially. So he had all the things of the world at his disposal. He, he was materially blessed, but materialism had not somehow quenched his thirst. It had not satisfied him because he's still lacking. There's something that's still there. I've heard people say money can't buy happiness. And occasionally there have been times where I've said, let me try. Let me try. Do you know how many uh, tickets to Walt Disney World I could buy if I had so much money? 
Let me try. But then I go back to these passages of Scripture and I look at experience itself and I realize, you know, they're right. Money can't buy happiness. Materialism will never fill the void. Materialism says, I must get. Jesus says, I have given. See, in materialistic thought, you just got to keep getting and you got to keep getting, you got to keep getting, you got to, you got to, you got to have more and more and more. And Jesus tells us that the gift of eternal life is simply that. It is a gift that he gives. Not something you earn, not something you try to get. It's, it's different. He has given to us all that we need. Well, Jesus, in his answer, does show the rich young ruler exactly the area that he is Fallen short in. When, when the youth, when the young ruler says, I, I've kept all these things, but there's something I still like, Jesus answers in verse 22. He says, you still like one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. So Jesus says, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to give it all away. And I want you to come and follow me. Verse 23 says, But when he, that is the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. You see, Jesus points out, he points out here the area in which this rich young ruler had not dealt honestly with God. The five commandments Jesus had previously mentioned had talked about the rich young ruler's relationship with other people. But Jesus had, I believe, intentionally left out some of the commands, those commands that deal with the vertical relationship, the command of not having any other gods before you, the command of not having any type of idols. Jesus had left that out because he knew exactly where this rich young ruler was struggling. And when Jesus says, I need you to go and I need you to give everything away and give it to the poor. He's not talking about some philanthropy. He's not talking about just trying to be gracious and good. What he's saying is, I need you to demonstrate, I need you to understand in your life that you have put other things before your relationship with God. I mean, obviously the materialism had so consumed him, he could not follow diligently. He could not follow in a devoted matter. He couldn't do it. Instead, he leaves. And he leaves sorrowful. The Bible says that he was very sorrowful. Uh, the idea is that sorrow surrounded him because he had a lot of stuff. Now, Jesus didn't tell him just to sell everything he had. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus was saying, you give up those materials and you'll get the treasure. You give up those things and you're going to experience life in me. Because Jesus is not just about, okay, go out and do good things. Jesus is about you come and you follow me because I'm the one that will fill your lacking spirit. I am the one that can somehow fit into that hole of your life. I'm the one. 
I'm the one. I know a lot of times right now, some of you are trying to find things to do as a family. You're out biking, you're out walking, you're doing some things. And let me stop and say, we do need to continue to pray for our medical personnel. And I know a lot of them right now who would love to have their kids home, but they can't because of the situation. They're in isolation. Their kids are in other places staying with grandparents, and we want to especially pray for them. For those of you who are at home and you've had your kids around, you know, you're trying to find all kinds of things to do with them. You know, you've had schoolwork and this coming week is spring break and maybe you're taking off or maybe you're saying, I'm not taking off, we're working still. But you've, you're trying to keep them entertained. And some of you may even be putting together puzzles. You got a puzzle, you like putting together puzzles. I like putting together puzzles. Now, when it's like 5,000 pieces, it can be overwhelming. And don't you hate it like when you get down to the end and you're trying to, and you, it's like you've lost a piece somewhere, you can't find it. How aggravating is that? What I do sometimes is I'll just kind of go, and I hate to admit this, especially in a recording like this where people have evidence, but I like to go and see if I can scavenge through some of the other boxes, some of the other puzzles. Maybe, it, maybe I can find a piece that'll fit. Maybe I can get one, oh, I know it sounds crazy, but maybe there's something, because you get down and there's like one, two pieces, and you're like, where are they? Where, where did the kids not put this up last time correctly? Where are these? And you go and you try to, and, and sometimes I, I just, I'll be like, let's just go and we'll get one, and uh, maybe the color is similar, and you just try to force it in. It's just like, it, we got to finish it. Just force the thing in. Just put it in there. But it doesn't always work, and you're not really satisfied in the end. You know, I think that's the way a lot of people are. I met a guy when I was in Salt Lake City. He was on the team with me. His name was Domingo, and he said to me as he gave me his testimony, he said, Reggie, he said, before I knew Christ, there was a hole in my heart. There was an empty spot. But when Christ came in, when Christ came in, he filled it perfectly. And now I have peace, P-E-A-C-E, because I have the final peace in my heart and life. I know some of you are suffering from a lack of peace right now. But could I be frank with you for just a moment? Some of you were struggling with peace before the coronavirus was ever in our vocabulary daily. Some of you were struggling with peace. Some of you were trying to follow legalistic standards or some of you were trying to follow materialistic pursuits. You were trying all those other kinds of things and you were, you were trying to force them into a spot that only Jesus can conform to. You were trying to fill things with your lives. But I say to you that there are some areas of your life that only Jesus can make a difference in. There are some areas that only Jesus can fulfill. And Jesus wants to do that. He wants to step in and he wants to fulfill your lacking, your longing, your emptiness. Those of you who are saved, you trusted him to come in and to save you and to fulfill that longing. Why won't you trust him now to come in and fulfill you as well?
I'm convinced that maybe God is stripping a lot of things away from our lives so we're able to see what truly satisfies us, what truly fulfills us. There's a third question. I told you this last question is in the backdrop of rejection because the rich young ruler, he left, he was sorrowful. And look in verse 24, it says, when Jesus saw that he became, he became very sorrowful as well. So Jesus was sorrowful that the rich young ruler had walked away. And then Jesus made a statement, an exaggerated statement, but a statement about the difficulty of giving up materialism and following him. He says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He just uses this exaggerated language, this hyperbole. He says, you get a little needle. And yes, I think he's talking about an actual needle here. He says, you got a little needle and it's so, so small of an opening there on that needle. And, and trying to get a camel squeezed through it. I mean, it seems like that would be impossible. He said, it's very difficult for people to give up materialistic things to follow me. And then here's that third question. Those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? How do you interpret that? For the disciples and really those in the Jewish culture, they believe that if you were a wealthy individual, that you were materially blessed, that meant the favor of God rested upon you. They believed that if you were rich, God had favored you and God was blessing you and God was all over you. So this rich young ruler who had experienced so much blessing, it was like God was, God was in his life. And those who were standing around who were not quite as blessed, the disciples, they look at Jesus and say, if a rich man cannot be saved, how can any of us? If the person who already has the blessing of God in his life can't enter into eternal life, we ain't got a shot, Jesus. There's no way. Who can be saved? <laughs> here's, the, here's the verse I was telling you about early on. Verse 27. But the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jesus simply says, it may seem like, and yes, it is difficult. And I use that exaggerated language for a purpose. But know that with God, all things are possible. And notice how this statement is nestled in this dark, rejected moment where somebody has just walked away from him. And Jesus still says that those things that seem impossible are possible with God. I'm so proud he gave us that verse today because right now we are through some dark moments. And yes, there are people maybe rejecting sound knowledge and maybe even rejecting the truth of Christ, but you don't give up. You don't give up. Why? Because Jesus is an active part of your life. Your hope and your faith is in him. Your hope and faith is not in a preacher or in a church. Your hope and faith is not in your job. Your hope and faith is not in, even in your family. The hope and faith you have is in Jesus. And with Jesus, anything is possible. That's what he says. It's the question about his leaving. He left. He left. And Jesus said, oh... 
I know you're concerned, but don't be overly concerned. Because with me, there is still power. And I can make things happen. Well, Peter, he seems to always be the one to speak up, isn't he? Verse 28, he said, see, we have left all and followed you. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, so he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, we are blessed as we follow him with eternal life itself. Whatever comes our way, he can turn impossibilities into possibilities. He gives us eternal life and he gives us eternal life right now. How do we experience it? May I suggest to you it is through a childlike faith. Remember, every passage should be interpreted in its context. Verses without context are simply pretext. But when you go back and you look at verses 15 through 17, which basically what happened right before this story of the rich young ruler, it gives you an indication of how Jesus welcomes children. And actually, Jesus makes a statement in verse 17. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. It wasn't an accident that God providentially placed that event right before the event of the rich young ruler. Because what Jesus is saying is that ultimate, ultimately eternal life comes through a childlike faith. It's following. And right now, you and I need that childlike faith. We need to say, we believe you, Father. We know that you are there for us. You loved us and you loved us so much you sent your only son to die for us. And as we have received the gift from you, we have received eternal life. I don't think I can say this enough. If you and I can trust God with our eternal life, we can trust him with our here and now. If I've trusted him to work out all these things, I don't have to do it. He's already done it. I don't have to get it because he's already given it. If I trust him and believe him with a childlike faith, then I believe he is willing and more than able to take care of our present needs. I tell you that our God is one who can bring possibility to the impossibility. He is the one to work in his own way. Hey, even through these means. Did you know that even through this right now, you may not be sitting in a physical church. You may not be uh, sitting with anybody. You may be alone at your computer or your phone, but God can speak to you right now. What we would have thought impossible many years ago, God is making possible, as I said earlier, and you can make a decision to follow Christ right where you are. Or some of you who have trusted, but as I said, God has stripped away a lot of stuff in your life right now so that you can focus. This might be a time of rededication and recommitment. God can use this venue. God can speak to you. I believe it. Last Sunday, 
I preached about following Jesus with everything that you had. Of giving your yesterday, today, and tomorrow to Jesus. About 10:15 Sunday night, I received a text. It's from a young man that I've come to absolutely love and appreciate. He texted me at 10:15 or so, and this is what he said. Sorry for texting so late. But the reason I was texting is because I want to know what I can do to strengthen, grow, and get to know Christ. I have always felt a huge tug to our God, and finally, I feel ready to follow him. Your message this morning has brought great joy to me and showed me that I have a relationship with God, but I am not living a full life. Would you please let me know what I can do to become a better Christian, fill my life with him, and maybe one day I can teach others to do the same. Our God is able to take any means. Our God is able to take a live stream, a face-to-face -face service. God's able to do anything to bring forth possibility to the impossibility. And right now, I believe he can speak to your heart just as he did this young man's life. I mean, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That in the moment of darkness, in the moment where it seems that so many things are difficult, God is drawing people to himself. And I believe he's drawing you to himself even right now. And I want to pray for you. And I want you, as God leads you, to reach out to us. Maybe it's on a social platform, a social media platform. Maybe it is through texting needs to 97,000. I want you to reach out to him. Reach out to us so that we can help you even during these days as we follow Christ fully. Let's see how God will take these difficult days and he'll redeem them for his for our good and for his glory as we see people come to know him and to know him more fully each and every day. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you that you have so designed this uh, series of messages for such a time as this. And God, right now I pray for those who are listening, who are watching. There are some right now who are struggling, Lord, in their relationship with you. But God, in many ways, they struggled with their relationship before this ever came about. God, you're just helping them refocus. You're helping to draw some things into proper perspective. God, would you show them, would you show them that you, you are calling them to a childlike faith, a childlike faith to follow you no matter what comes their way. God, I pray that you'd bring peace to anxious minds. I pray that you'd bring protection to people's bodies. And God, through this, may we see more people who indicate just what this young man indicated last week. May we see individuals following you fully in a surrendered life. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.